Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm your host, Audrea Greenhoff, and in this podcast, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's most innovative food brands to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Better Food Stories podcast. I am your host, Audrea Greenhoff. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, I'm excited to bring you another episode today around the theme of shifting gears and shifting businesses. If you listened uh, to last week's episode with Nick Liberato of Netflix's Restaurants on the Edge, I mentioned that I was going to be taking a few weeks to feature food entrepreneurs who are switching things up and innovating during this really uncertain and shaky time that we're in in the world. Um, And today's guest, Justino Mitchell, is a great example of that. So Justino was a business owner in Philadelphia. His family owned uh, a business called Mi Cumbia Spa, which is currently closed right now. Um, But he and his family were in Colombia actually launching a new venture when everything essentially shut down. And now they have decided to, at least for the foreseeable future, stay in Colombia. They're literally in a remote part of Colombia and working on an initiative with the indigenous Arahuaco tribe, I hope I'm saying that right, um, cultivating unique sugar products. And they're helping this tribe um, not only survive, but thrive in this this economy. You know, we've all been affected everywhere in the world. Uh, so Justino's initiative is, is helping the indigenous tribe of Colombia while also um, cultivating sugar that is going to be used in a line of really unique high-end products and I really think that anyone who listens to this episode will definitely take some tidbits of inspiration away from our conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Justino Mitchell of Erloma. Thank you for for joining me on the Better Food Stories podcast. I'm super excited to have you as my guest on this episode. Um, Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now in beautiful Colombia. Of course. Uh, my name is Justino Mitchell, uh, aka The Sugar Man. Um, I am uh, currently in Colombia as a coronavirus refugee. I am uh, here with my wife and my two children. Uh, my daughter is four and my son is two years old. So we are here as a family. Um, we came here to uh, launch Aroloma, um, and that was three and a half months ago. And uh, Everything flipped upside down pretty quick on us. So um, we are uh, pivoting uh, with the times and trying to find opportunity in difficulties. So uh, we had to close our one business in Philadelphia, which was a a spa um, that's in transition. And uh, we are here saying that we're going to be here for the uh, for the future. It might be two years. It might be longer, um, but it gives us an incredible opportunity to uh, live. Um, to learn and to work alongside uh, an indigenous tribe, uh, the Atawakos, um, and to really launch uh, a full um, product line for Aroloma. Uh, Aroloma started off as uh, working with the indigenous to market and um, for an international market, um, varietal clean sugars. So it's a 
if sugar is not refined, um, it has flavor nuances like wine um, or anything that's related to terroir, so coffee, etc. Um, depending on the altitude, depending on the varietal, the flavor nuances are are, are forward, and um, it's not being sold as necessarily it is the lowest common denominator of sweets, but it's now um, a flavor. It's a creative outlet um, that chefs, pastry chefs, et cetera, can utilize. Uh, it has now expanded out to um, a full range of naturally derived products, um, such as green coffee, raw cacao, uh, varietal honeys, um, and then hand-ground indigenous chocolate. So all of those products are utilizing the model that we've established with the, uh, the tribe um, for the sugar um, and uh, accentuates their indigenous agricultural practices. And that is really the core of what makes these products so special uh, is really how the indigenous um, coexist with the land um, and, agri- and, and, and farm um, in, in this communal way with nature, that it's not aggressive and there's no pesticides and it's 100% sustainable. So it's really, it's been a beautiful process partnering with them. Um, and the benefits of that now is that we are, we are building our, our company into an agricultural land trust where we're able to acquire indigenous territory land um, and work with the tribe to act as, uh, for environmental conservation of these different biospheres. Um, everything from reforestation, uh, afforestation, agroforestation. So it's, it's, a, it's a very communal, um, engaged uh, process that we're doing. And part of the conservation and reforestation is really aimed at addressing uh, desertification uh, of the lands here. So due to climate change, they're seeing that a lot of their lands are starting to dry up and not being able to uh, utilize it for uh, farming or for anything. Uh, so we're working with them to then uh, reverse the, the effects of climate change and to rebuild the, the, the biodiversity of the soils um, and also protect the habitats that exist here. That's fantastic. So was this the initial reason traveling to Colombia to start this initiative or um, did this happen you know, while you were sort of um, idle there waiting to come back to the States? This is a project I've been working on for about eight years. Um, It's been a long-term project of mine um, in exporting Colombian sugar, but also to um, launch the idea of specialty cane sugars, that uh, sugar's time has come. Um, Like coffee, that was a commodity product not too long ago. Um, salt, which now you have Himalayan salts and smoked salts and habanero salts, um, and that uh, even cacao and chocolates. So it was through my research and my networking in Colombia. Side note, my wife is Colombian and I've been here to see her family, which is sort of my introduction to it all. Um, My my true excitement and passion was going like, it's it's time for varietal cane sugars um, and ancient cane sugars to really to, to be spotlighted. So I worked for years on that. And um, we then uh, established connections with this indigenous tribe, tribe after a while. And this would be my third time here. Um, so for years, we've been working with them to get their production facility, get USDA certified organic and BEMA certified. We're certified organic in Europe already, uh, fair trade certified. So 
I was working hand in hand with them to to make sure that we have everything in place for exportation um, anywhere in the world. And, uh, that took that took a lot longer than expected. And working with uh, uh, an indigenous tribe and working remotely um, from Philadelphia, um, so we came here with it was final push. Um, we came here because everything was in place, and I was going to oversee the final packaging line that we had so that we would be here to to usher out our first 22 tons of sugar that was going to um and then corona kind of kicked in somewhere there and uh and that's where our, our pivot exists <laughs> i'm sure it, it definitely you know kind of expedited the the process of it all from a business standpoint it's actually it's, it's rather interesting um being an American company working out of Philadelphia and with the tribe, you know, I had the perspective that I could get sugar to the States and I could kind of ship out in the States and that would be my market. Um, now that I'm here, it's changed everything on that end. Um, so we are already have uh, like six employees in Colombia that I never would have imagined having before. Uh, we're, we are marketing towards the Colombian market. Um, I'm getting leads now in Russia to sell them five wow. tons of sugar. Um, Australia's contacting me now. We're in communication with uh, with uh, a pastry chef in France um, and with the States. So by being here, I'm able to now look at from being on the farm where things are being made and being in partnership, I, I can have a much broader sense of what we can do and where we can go. And it expands out my product lines beyond just sugar to green coffee, cacao, honey, and hand ground chocolates. So it's, uh, it, in one way it's, you know, it was a, a it, it is a challenging time. Another time, another thing is that it put me here, which presented a whole world of opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a whole different audience that you were introduced to a whole line of different products. That's really cool. Tell me about, you mentioned uh, that your your wife is Colombian and, you know, that was sort of your introduction to this environment and this opportunity. Talk to me about your introduction to this cane sugar and what made you excited about possibly uh, creating a, a business out of it. It gets me excited. My family's Cuban, so I'm, I'm familiar with the cane sugar. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my first experience experience with it was um you know so uh, let me start so i'm a coffee and a self a self-titled coffee enthusiast uh, i'm i'm really into i take i go to all the conventions um i, I love the nuances I, I love the single origin stories uh, i love it all i love the, the equipment the process um so i'm really fascinated by it um but i still always really enjoyed a little bit of sugar in uh, on some of the coffees right not all of them but some of them um and when I went to Colombia, uh, a typical Colombian style coffee, like they don't serve it, they don't even offer it black. You know, it's like they serve it with this handmade sugar. And uh, we were in the coffee region and knowing that almost all A and B grade coffees are exported, your typical coffee is like a C grade or, or, or instant. Uh, most of it's actually just instant. So I tasted this coffee and I was like, I was blown away, it was complex. Um, and I started asking more questions about the sugar, um, the Colombian handmade sugars, and found out that it was from a farm that was like down the road. And we went there. Um, and so the best way I kind of explain is that so we have a lot of sugar in a coffee. What I'll do is it'll 
It'll reduce the bitterness and the acidity, but it'll highlight the fruit forwardness without overwhelming it with an artificial sweetness, a sharp sweetness. It's right. sort of like you'll taste it and you'll like, you'll wonder like, is there sugar in there? I don't know. It's like sort of fruity and it's sort of delicious and it's complex. So it doesn't, depending on the varietal, um, it shouldn't overwhelm the flavor of the coffee itself. It should highlight the fruits um, rather than being like that, that flavor nuance. Of course, I say that because, you know, there's 12 different uh, varietals of cane sugar, which all have its own flavor profiles. Um, you know, some of them are like dark chocolate wet brownie. You know, some of them taste like honey. Some are like dried apricots and dried cherries. So it's, you, know, you don't want one that's like a brownie, uh, or maybe somebody would, maybe. Um, <laughs> that you would put in, put in your uh, coffee. It depends, right? It's super dark roast. Maybe you would. Um, so yeah, so I got really excited going like, wow, this like really changes everything about sugar. And then, so I started like researching more and getting batches from different farms in Colombia. And then I started noticing variations. Um, you know, I would get a batch from a, a farm out Medellin and um, two months later they would send me another batch and it tastes totally different. I'm like, why does this taste different? They're like, oh well, you know, it was a rainy season and this this batch is the is from a higher altitude. I was like, oh, so an altitude makes a difference. And then and then I started digging in more and then like, well, this is different than that. Like it's from the same time. It's like, oh, well, they're different varietals. I was like, oh, they're different varietals. So it just kind of like. It was an, over eight years. It was like a, a, an evolution of going, you know, what's possible that could affect the change. And then I like to say right now is that it most are so white sugar. The refining process lowers the sugar to its lowest common denominator, which is just sweetness. So they remove intentionally remove any variation. Like the regular sugar that everybody, we're all used to. The white sugar that we all get. Okay. Including, including sugar in the raw or turbinado. Um, so I always like to clarify. Turbinado sugar is refined white sugar. But then what they'll do is they uh, boil the white refined sugar with molasses for 14 hours to bake back in coloring. Right. So um, it's not more natural or anything else. It's just white sugar with molasses baked back in or boiled back into it. So what kind of what are the best things to do with this sugar? You mentioned coffee. What are some other things you could do? So, you know, I, so I say to approach it in a, in a unique way. It's not your typical sugar in the sense that you're not just sweetening something. So the first thing is to be creative. Um, don't, I would recommend starting off with not getting one of them, get, get two of them to see what's possible. And then you'll find out, you know, one that's sort of like sweet, nuanced apricots and honey might be really great with, um, you know, your tea, or it might be really great with, you know, a pastry or a certain cake you're making, um, or a particular beer you're making, whatever it might be. Uh, but you might find that, you know, your chocolate chip cookies would really be fantastic with like a prune, you know, slash uh, other flavor. So really think of it as a, a flavor experience rather than just it's sweet and I'm just sweetening something. So in that sense, it really is uh, about application more than anything else. Um, on our website, we will have explanations of each batch and what their flavor notes will be. So that's, that's sort of my recommendation is that it is a new approach to um, using sugar and thinking of sugar as more 
of a, a wholesome, natural, naturally derived variable product. That it's not every batch you get is, um, or every bag you buy is bad. So it might be the same varietal um, from year to year, but it might have rained more. Um, it might have been planted at a different altitude. It might have been closer to a water stream. Um, and all that will flex, affect the nuance. Um, it might have been harvested eight, 18 months instead of 22 months. Um, so with all that being said, we, we like to celebrate that variation rather than saying like, how do we structure it in a way so it's always the same? It, mm -hmm. This is a natural product that, that has natural variations. And um, how do we celebrate that rather than getting in the way of that? Um, and that's also a very indigenous approach to uh, agriculture. Uh, as well. So um, Erloma's ideas and uh, the Atawako's uh, indigenous tribes ideas uh, are in sync with that sort of idea. That's really cool. And, and the way that you describe it really does feel like what you hear about wine, right? Like the altitude, the, the rain, the, you know, how much sunlight, the soil. It's really interesting that it's almost like the wine process that it has such variation in the taste. Absolutely. Uh, you, you really think about um, wines, so terroir, you know, we talk a lot about terroirs, you know, you know how, wh what's the, the healthiness of the soil? Uh, there's a lot of smelling of soils like, like in wine. Um, and then same ideas as like uh, third wave coffees, like who, who's making it, how are they making it, how are they growing, what's their process, you know, what's their altitude, what are their varietals of coffee, um, all that nuance, um, really does matter and uh and, and it is it is the foundation of, of of direct trade that has impact right so there's no middleman there's there's literally we are here we are on the land and you you know uh, a distillery or you uh, a pastry chef in new york are buying directly from the tribe every sale goes back to supporting the indigenous um in all their ag uh, afforestation and uh, conservation efforts too yeah, and I would love to, to learn a little bit more about that. Tell me about, now that you have been in this region for some time, what do you wish more people knew about this part of the world? And um, how is that tying back into uh, your mission of this of this venture? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, so, so much. I, I have changed um, significantly over the last few months of being here. So I'm just excited to be here, you know, for an extended period of time and how that's going to impact me. Um, as I mentioned, it is a world biosphere reserve and, and that is at risk. It's um, um, a huge um, indigenous territory that is completely remote um, and, you know, is, except for, you know, large scale climate change, um, it's, it's unaffected by people coming in and, fertilizers and pesticides and chemicals. It is an incredible, incredible, incredible biodiverse environment. Coming from Philadelphia, you look in the woods and you see a certain range of uh, vegetation or a certain range of, of insects or even bees. Um, it's just mind boggling looking at one little section of ground and the amount of biodiversity that's there. Every like two days I see a different frog that I didn't see the day before. So it is genuinely, you know, a, a rich biodiversity that just has so much. Um, and then on top of that, the indigenous really consider it um, or consider themselves uh, gatekeepers of biodiversities and the guardians of 
uh, the Sierra Nevadas, and they they take that like they, they take that as their life mission, and um, it's beautiful with how they exist in a spiritual way, but also in their daily life uh, about how how to live with nature rather than controlling it, rather than trying right. to kill something. Um, it, it's it really is it's it's very impactful, um, and they go with the idea of giving more than you take. Right. So there's there's being grateful for the land. But, you know, if I take uh, a, a fruit, you know, I probably should plant the seed. Right. So therefore, three, you know, five trees might grow from me eating one fruit. So if you just take and take and take, everything will die. But if you somehow with everything that you take and everything you do, you give something else back to nature to enable it to flourish everything stays in balance. Um, and even like they, they don't cut down a tree. They don't cut anything unless they ask for permission first. And, uh, you know, sometimes we are like, oh, we're going to, we're going to harvest something. They're like, no, we can't harvest. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. What we're going to do instead today is we're going to go plant mango trees, you know? So there's, there's a, this beautiful balance. And even when you talk about like agricultural uh, stuff that happens, um, Modern agricultural practices um, are about you have a plot of land and you're going to plant what it is you need to plant on it and you clear everything else off of it. And then you have to use right. fertilizers to, to keep the biodiversity of the soil healthy. And then you need to use fertilizer because there's no diversity in like insects. So if you have an insect that's eating your corn, you don't have another insect that will eat that insect because you killed everything else off. Right. So their approach is, is radically different where it's, they're not tearing anything down. They're going, okay, we're going to plant four in this region or five plants in this region because this region supports that, that product that supports coffee trees, you know, where the other altitude does not, but we're going to put some, you know, uh, banana trees there. And the other area is great for cacao. But they'll, rather than clearing it, They'll just put it into a bio-rich environment that's like woods or, you know, a, a cliff of a, a mountainside or something. So um, it just is a, a really amazing connection with nature and what is sustainable and what is not. Um, and I, I really think that, that is, there's, we have so much to learn from, from the way that they minimize their impact. Uh, I was just talking to my wife. Uh, last week and we all of a sudden were amazed when we were in the kitchen and I looked at our trash bag and I looked at her I said is that the same trash bag we've had for like three weeks or a month she's like yes I I was blown away it was literally it's a like a trash bag you get from like CVS and it's like this big and we had like this much trash in it And, and it's just going like you know everything we eat like if you need food we're planting like you get things like nothing comes in plastic nothing there's no wrappers there's no packaging there's no amazon you know it's you by default are living with the land on the land and you have like no waste um and it's just it's sort of it's fascinating that you know we're living here and um you know we don't even we don't need a car so we just walk up the mountains i mean you walk a lot more so you know you could walk for an hour or two and that's normal just to get somewhere but that's what everyone does uh um, but you, your your impact on the world is minimum, and hopefully, you know, with their ideas that you, by the time we each uh, pass away or die, um, 
that these plants that we uh, put will be growing long after we're gone and uh, another generation will do more. So and they, kind of, they take the idea that we're just, we, we're passing, we're, we're guests. This is, this is the planet and we're just a temporary guest and each of us will have a short lifespan in the lifespan of uh, the plants and the earth and the air we breathe and all that. So it's putting all of our existence in a perspective that we don't own earth and we don't own the land. We're just uh, uh, a temporary uh, custodian of it. Absolutely. I absolutely love the whole idea behind it. And I think it's such a great time for um, a venture like this because not only have most of us been sheltering in one place, and it's been more difficult to get, you know, groceries and basic things that we're used to, you know, consuming without thinking about it. And I think the more people I talk to, we're being more creative in the kitchen, we're utilizing, you know, more ingredients and being more creative about things um, just because we have to. And as a result of people, you know, staying in one place, we're seeing that a lot of, I've seen a lot of articles of many, um, you know, natural habitats are improving because we're not taxing yeah. them as much. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So absolutely. I think it all ties into, um, you know, what we're learning about just how much of a of an impact yeah. almost in a negative way our, our consumption has on yeah. on nature and also understanding that you know our our simple decisions um have a larger impact you know it's a simple decision of what what sugar you decide to buy right you you can buy you know a large multinational which is uh you know practicing um crop burning and contributing to to uh climate issues or you know, you can contribute to the well-being of an indigenous family, you know, that's supporting the environment. So, uh, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's food, con it's conservation and it's food, but, uh, you know, your decisions really do and can have the opportunity to make uh, a significant impact. Um, and on top of the impact, it's a better tasting food. The sugar nuances that we're getting um, comes down to their custodian sort of ideas on ancient seeds are very much on protecting the seeds that it's not GMO um, and that that it takes time and energy and um, you, you do taste the difference in uh, nuance yeah so I know that you are uh, mentioned you were wrapping up uh, sort of the last phase of this um, launch when can people um, check out what you have to offer and and where can they learn about that well I'm, I'm thrilled to with the, the the corona transition that's happening here we've been on lockdown for for months um actually before uh, the states was locked down so uh that meant i was i was uh uh confined to just our farm all this time uh, but uh things have just started easing up a little bit especially since we are in a mountain that the indigenous territory has been shut off from the outside so the indigenous are now starting to uh connect again so that means that our sugar production is going to start uh next week so we're doing some painting and prep of the the facility um outsiders can't get up here but uh, we can utilize um, everyone here uh to produce and get sugar out so we're hoping that um uh, we'll produce we're doing about 11 to 22 tons uh, that will be going to the states and hopefully in the next uh two months it'll be on uh in the in the west or sorry the east coast uh, that will be available through our website, 
uh, in cases. Um, we will also be selling that to uh, distributors and um, getting on to Amazon, of course. So you'll be seeing that hopefully at, at grocery stores, et cetera, available in three quarter pound bags um, for suppliers such as brewers, distillers, uh, restaurants, chefs, et cetera. Uh, that will be available in kilo pound bags. Um, it would be four kilos uh, per case. Um, the three quarter pound bags are about uh, 10 units per case. So we kept the cases small. So uh, at home, you can buy a case from us directly, or you can go hopefully to a, a local grocery store or online grocer uh, to purchase them. Awesome. That's really exciting. I can't wait to check you guys out once you're up and running. Um, so I know that this is not your first entrepreneurial venture. You mentioned that you had a business back in Philadelphia. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm interested in knowing, you said your business in Philadelphia is currently closed as so many um, people in the States are, are experiencing, not, not even just in the States, everywhere. So talk to me about starting a venture in this type of climate and also, you know, needing to pivot, what advice do you have to somebody who might need to be switching gears or someone who is in the middle of starting something um, who's not sure what to do now? Yeah. I mean, well, the, the first thing I, I kind of start out saying is that, you know, don't panic. Um, you know, that that's a, a, it's a natural reaction, but you know, the, the degree of worrying, um, is counterproductive and uh, will not provide clarity of thought to what to do next. Um, I, I was in a, a sort of, uh, it was a set up sort of place in the fact that I've been working for years to get to this point. So it wasn't like my one business dropped out and I was trying to figure out, well, what do I do with my life now? Right? There wasn't an existential sort of uh, dropping out that, that caused me to then refigure that out. It was just going, okay, it's clear. I can't do that. So I really need to double down on this. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was sort of, this is a sign I can do this, but I can't do that. Um, you know, my recommendation for somebody else is just say, okay, you know, well, what, what pivots can I do at this point? You know, am I able to, what am I able to morph my, my model into? I, I always said with my, my other business is that, you know, we, we are in a constant of evolution. And if we're not getting ourselves better and motivating ourselves to change our model all the time, then another business will do that for us and put us out of business by improving their model that's better than ours. So, you know, this is a, a, a forced opportunity and or a challenge for businesses where they really need to dig down and say, you know, the model they have might have been great a few months ago, but it might not be now. And, and how do you make strong and aggressive and challenging um, decisions that could affect people and but that creates an opportunity forward so um, it's challenging for everyone and it always always is and always will be in a, in a business scenario but that just staying strong in the idea that there is no uh, negative there's just opportunity and it's just kind of what you do with it um, you know, if, um, I'm heartbroken with the loss of my other business and where that's at now. Um, but I can't, I can't sit on that for too long or else it's counterproductive. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And part of one of the reasons I was 
really excited to talk to you was, um, you know, this podcast is dedicated to showcasing trend setting and new brands in the food space. Yeah. And I was hesitant, you know, doing episodes during this time because I didn't really know where, you know, this fit into the conversation because so many people are struggling. But I think there, like you said, there is opportunity everywhere. It's great to see um, people like yourself who are creating opportunities for, for new avenues and, and new initiatives. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's really wild. You know, in, in the States, I had uh, 11 employees with my old business. And uh, over the period of the last few months, I now have eight employees with my new business. I'm looking to hire three more, or actually five more in the next few days. Um, so we're, we're putting all those positions out there right now. So it's just, uh, just incredible, you know, that sort of morphing um, of, of opportunity and, and what you need to do. And, um, you know, some people lose something, but then you're able to blossom and make something else happen with it. So, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing negative. It's just how you, you think about it. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I've loved getting to know you and Aeroloma. Um, congratulations on this venture, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Before we wrap things up, I do sort of fun closing questions with all my guests. Are you up for that? Sure. sure. Let's go. Okay. So number one, what is the last movie or TV show that you watched? <laughs> That's a funny one. So actually, I don't watch TV and I don't really watch movies. Um, however, my daughter, you know, I don't know where she even got it from. Here we are in Columbia with no TVs and uh, parents that don't watch it. And she goes, I need to see The Incredibles, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, what was it like four days ago? I watched The Incredibles with my daughter and son and wife and uh, every day since then. She wakes up, it's like, she, she opens her eyes in the morning, looks at me, and she goes, can we watch The Incredibles again today, Poppy? <laughs> so, uh, Incredibles. <laughs> oh, I love that. Number two, if you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? <laughs> well, based on where I'm at, um, I, I, I will tell you, um, Guanabana is just it's just delicious um most people have not had it i guess if you're from colombia you know exactly what i'm talking about it's a big prickly fruit and it's huge um but it just has flavor it just it's just exciting um every every bite is an exciting delicious fruit um there's so many fruits here that every one uh, of them tastes unlike anything i can explain so uh i'll classify that as Colombian fruits, number one. <laughs> um, now that I'm here, it's it's uh, it's it's a different sort of uh, answer to that. Uh, in America, we have access to we have access to everything. Um, what do you want to eat tonight? You kind of you go by nationalities, like all right, let's do Indian tonight, Mexican for lunch, and you know, sushi for dinner. Uh, you know, it, so you're sort of all over the plate on on that stuff. My world is not like that anymore. So um, it's it's all about soups uh, every meal is uh soups uh rice and beans um but i would say i could not eat um any of it if it wasn't for limes uh, literally limes go on everything and lime is delicious so try and lime on anything and everything and I, I am down with lime lime mixed in with like some varietal honey even like that's great on like beets um lime so fruits 
limes, and then we have an herb garden, so I could not live without my herb garden. Um, we have all sorts of stuff that I, I don't even know the names of, um, but the herb garden makes a, a simple rice dish delicious. I love it. Number three, where is your favorite place that you have ever traveled to? <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> You're there already. I love it. Yeah. Sierra Nevada to Santa Marta Mountains uh, with the, the Arawaka Indigenous Tribe, um, and I'm fortunate enough to to live here. Um, it's pretty cool, and fortunate enough to be with my family while I live here. Love it. And number four, what's one thing most people would never guess about you? Um, I'm I'm not a really big fan of getting my hands wet. Okay. I, just a thing. Um, uh, my birth name is Justin. Some some people know that. Some people don't know that. Um, I changed my name about three, a few years ago, three years ago maybe. And I own Hustino.com. So what other? What's cool? Uh, super cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, Hustino, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Where can people learn more about you and Erloma? So. Instagram. Uh, we're, we're incredibly active uh, with our stories and also with our posts. Um, you can follow everything that we're doing um, on a daily basis. So uh, we're, we're actively uh, participating there. So please follow us. Uh, Airloma. Uh, simple. H-E-I-R-L-O-M-A, uh, which is a variation of heirloom or heirloom strains. So Airloma. Uh, uh, we're on Twitter as well. Um, we have a YouTube channel now with Airloma. Um, and then, of course, our website. You can go on there. You can learn a little bit more about the, uh, the cane sugars uh, at the, for the time being. And then um, that will be actually converted into uh, an e-com site um, for all orders going forward. And that's just airloma.com.